don't know. I like do not deserve. I'd like things that minimize the amount of um, attention devices tried to get me. Says the guy with an Apple watch. Yeah, but I have all the notifications muted. Really, it's a really fancy way to get a timer <laughs> on my wrist. Sure. Whatever, yeah. whatever you say, Jordan. And occasionally, and I mean rare occasion, measure my 20-minute workouts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Subscurity, the podcast about obscure subcultures. I'm Brenna. And I'm Jordan. And today we're talking about death doulas. So I have a heavy topic, but I'm going to start with a lighthearted question to keep it light before we get dark. So how would you like to die? Jesus Christ, Jordan, didn't we learn our lesson when you did your fucking like airplane survivors, whatever? Why yeah. are we doing a dark topic? It's not really dark. I think it's uplifting in a way. Anyways, sure how would you, you like do to die? Until I ask probing questions and you're like, oh, I regret choosing this topic. Yeah, probably. But why, how would you like to die? Uh, I feel you've asked me this before, so I feel like you're really getting lazy with the planning here. Um, but quickly and painlessly preferably like overnight in my sleep i'm not asking the method of your death i'm asking how would you like to die like okay if you were in my sleep of old age (laughs) but like (laughs) like you know you're on death's door like bad like how do you prepare yourself for death do you prepare closing my eyes and going to sleep (laughs) for fuck's sake dude like what what answer do you want from me well i mean that's kind of it like do you think that you would like if you know you're dying you're in hospice care or something like that right like do you think that would be a process that you would handle well on your own or would you like look for others to for support would you think that others need support as well like the three, four people in your entire life you've actually made connections with who might be slightly upset about your passing. Um, are we doing death doulas? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is the third fucking time you've to- stolen something on my list. <laughs> well, you but... need to pick them quicker. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> apparently, dude. Fucking <laughs> apparently. But I haven't done any research aside from I know that they are people who help uh, with the death process, kind of bringing you in and out of life. Um, Not into life. Out of life. Well, doulas in, help you with the end of life. Yeah. Into new life, if yeah. you will. Well, I don't. Well. I'm a Jewish person. <laughs> we don't believe in that stuff. No afterlife for you guys? Jews don't really believe in the afterlife. Like, they, they we focus on, well, we, the, the, the religious we, clearly. Yeah, yeah the collective, yeah, yeah, the collective religious you. Um, but no, the, as a religion, it doesn't really focus on what comes after death. It focuses on, on so the no- life that you live. There isn't, there isn't a concept of heaven or hell in Judaism, no. How do they scare you into doing the right things? This is, does not not. Turns out morality is, is only relevant on, on the planet and earth that you actually live on. So uh, it's not about, yeah, what comes after. It's about the life you live on. There are like concepts of what it means to live on, right? Like the, uh, you know, you are the branch that leaves will grow on, you know, talking about like descendants and like living on through your children or whatever else but the, the idea of like a place you go after you die spiritually it's not necessarily incompatible with judaism it's just not something they care about they don't focus on that as a practice hmm. well that sounds incorrect i'm not sure 
you're fearing people into living a God-fearing life as you should be, per my Catholic upbringing. I appreciate the criticism from the militant atheist. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) I'm an agnostic. Don't don't get it twisted. Yeah, that's fair. Just because I lean very atheistic. (laughs) Just because I'm militantly atheist in my agnosticism. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean I don't think there's a possibility of a God. (laughs) (laughs) My wife and I were talking about that today and she was, she said the same thing. She's like, you know, I really, really don't, I'm not religious. (laughs) Just like out of nowhere. I'm like, I don't know what you, what was going, like what part of that conversation I missed that was in your head. Right, (laughs) right. You're like, what's, what like train of consciousness are you on internally that that, that's the part you say out loud i i gotta assume it's something with abortion but you know america so uh i would abort you if i could rewind 42 years but unfortunately i could turn back time oh i was that's not the one i was doing i don't know what that one is but that's not that's that's share yeah i wasn't if i could turn back time no i was (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's just move on. No, this isn't doing it. <laughs> no. So doulas, death doulas, not 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 doulas, death doulas specifically. Um, okay. You, you nailed the description, so I th- I don't think I need to do this episode. Do you want to do, do the interview and I'll just I'll just kind of pass along yeah. what I I know from my complete lack of research, but what I do know about birthing doulas and postpartum doulas. Yeah, actually, let's start like, with there. Let's start with there. Let's start there. What what is a birthing doula? What is a doula that helps you Yeah, with the birth process? Yeah. So I have a a good friend who mm, pivoted into being a doula as her career path. It's definitely been her life calling. She has a a passion for it. And she started, I think, as a... Did she start as post... I think she started as a postpartum doula. So basically staying overnights primarily at houses of people who had just had babies for the first few months and she would get up in the middle of the night right and so that the parents could sleep or but yeah I think it's so the postpartum she would kind of stay there take care of the baby in the middle of the night kind of help with like dishes almost like a um nanny's not the right word but au pair maybe someone staying in kind of just like help help with things around the house just to kind of ease their transition into parenthood and make that easier and then for birthing, which she has, I think, is her full-time doula approach now, she's there during the birth process, right? And the idea is that, again, it's to alleviate a lot of the work and I think the mental burden on the parents and specifically to help advocate for the mother as they're giving birth. Because, yes, in theory, that's something you can do on your own, the the partner, the husband, the whatever it can do for you. But as you know, it can be a very stressful and long, exhausting process for people. So I think the doula is there to, like, they're the clear-headed one, right? Like, they've done it before. They know a lot more of the medical system. Um, and it's just kind of someone that can help you stick to your birth plan or pivot and walk you through it if things go awry. So they're really there just to make the birthing process a lot easier. And for people who've used them, I've always heard really good things. Did I do a good job? Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I, I didn't look up on birthing doulas. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think so. What What would you say the difference between them and a midwife is? Um, the difference is primarily that I don't know what a midwife is. <laughs> <laughs> I think don't midwives have like a medical degree or a license? Mm, I don't. Maybe a certification, but they're not. They're not doctors. No, but I think the difference is. I I think I. It was a. Problem. Do you want to answer this, Jordan? Yeah. Well, I was. 
you were already answering what a birthing doula was. So I was giving you the opportunity to keep going, but um, like a midwife will more they they do hands on delivery, right? Like and if a, you a doula will not, right? If you if you are doing if you are choosing to use a midwife instead of like a hospital birth, right? Or I think you can have midwives in a hospital, but like um, rather than having a, a doctor assist you in birth, right? Like a midwife, it's a more of a I guess a holistic maybe is the right word. Um, a way to deliver a child but yeah they're they're there to help that baby get out of out of the pregnant woman versus the doula like you said is their job or there for the parents yeah they're right to and to support like i think you said it right to to support the whole birthing process in general um i kind of like in my head and this may be a bad analogy but i kind of almost compare it to like a like a wedding planner except they're there on the day as well (laughs) like they're they're there just kind of logistically make sure everything's going off correctly and that you have what you need and that you're not panicking and that you're not like you have so much going on, especially Wedding planners are on the day of too. I didn't have one. So I guess in my head it was all they do it beforehand, but yeah, that's fair. You've, you've never seen the JLo movie, the the smash hit featuring JLo and Matthew McConaughey before his serious acting days. I have not. That's unfortunate. We'll watch that oh. at our next movie night. <laughs> it's honestly a cute little movie, and I'm not like a rom-com person. We we just watched The Proposal on Valentine's Day. That is such a good movie. I knew you would the love that. All-time greatest actor of our generation, perhaps of all time, Sandra Bullock. And my undoubtedly, if our paths ever crossed, best friend. She would uh, replace you like in a heartbeat. She, like she already did is. You just, she's, did you just, in my heart, she's my best friend. Did you just subtly imply that I'm your best friend? Nope. <laughs> that would be. That sounds like Ooh. a, a wow, no, misunderstanding. <laughs> sounds like you really misinterpreted uh, no, the intention I'm, of what I'm I said sure there. I'm pretty sure I heard that right. Um, so, so yeah, so midwife doula. Um, and the reason I kind of wanted to talk about that because is because death doulas have sometimes been called or been confused with death midwives, and there has been death midwife. Well, that has been. I think that was the term that. The, the movement kind of started as and it's been requested or it, it's led to controversies that has also then led to requests from midwives to change the name to mm-hmm. and specifically to be about doulas because um again midwives have this kind of more medical in in delivery and that in doulas in either case whether it's beginning of life or end of life are not taking that active of a role, right? Like a death doula may not have been present at the time you pass, but their job is there to help prepare you, your friends, your family, anyone else for that passing and get you like into the, uh, into that state of mind, um, and to get everyone else into that state of mind, whether it's spiritually, psychologically, socially, whatever it is to kind of help make that death process. Yeah. Acceptance, right. To make that death process easier. Um, so when do they get pulled into the process? Cause I feel like once you're in hospice, generally speaking, you're not of a sound mind to like, yeah. um, kind of have a conversation and like, you're like, you're, you're in the, you're in the phase of acceptance cause you're, you're very close to death's doorway. At least in my experience, it but. can be brought in at any point and it can be brought in again, both by the person who is, um, on the verge of passing or by the people around that person to help them. Right. So like, cause again, their role is, is to help create death plans. It's to help, um, manage that transition, but it's also to the logistical stuff like planning funerals, memorial mm-hmm. services, 
guiding mourners and what they need to do. So like I, I, when I was reading a lot of the research, it reminded me a lot of the professional mourners. That's yeah. The first place my mind's going to. Yeah. Like, except in that case, it was people there to like, who don't know. Right. <laughs> but, in, Complete but this hired is, hands. Exactly. Yeah. But this is to take the people who do care. And like you said, uh, and just very similar to the birthing doula, give them the guidance of what to do in the moment when the last thing that they're thinking is rational of like plan of action type thoughts. Right. We actually, um, our friend Trevor, my friend, he, he's okay with you, I guess. Um, our friend Trevor is the only person I know personally that actually had a doula during the birthing uh, process. Yeah. During their childbirth or couple childbirth. And, uh, he said that it was really helpful for him. Like he was a big advocate for it after the fact, because for him, it was just the simple things of like the doula would tell him, go eat a sandwich or whatever else. Right. Like he was so focused on everything going on with his wife. It was hard for him to even think about how to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, just the simple stuff. Right. And so. Which is, and I honestly think, you know, every time I think of childbirth, I'm like, how is the husband doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was his point that we should focus more attention on, on men in general. And especially at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the most important time. And it's like, it's when we've, you know, men are, they're experiencing a tough time right now. And it's important that we don't overlook them in the, the big phases of life, such as birthing a child. <laughs> Should we just end it there? Like, yeah, not even continue. That's, yeah. that's the episode, guys. Um, well, if you're done shitting on Trevor for making a very valid point, I think. No, um, I'll continue this throughout the episode. Thank you. That's fair. No, I like, but but seriously, that like it is, I think it's good to have somebody there whose job it is to make sure that everyone's everyone's getting what they need and, you know, focus on the right thing at the right time. Because again, like you said, with the birthing doulas, they've done this before. They know, they know what's going to happen. And especially if it's, you know, I was gonna say the first time you've died, but the first time there's been a death in the family, right. Or, or, or back kind of in a similar situation, like when you have the first birth uh, in your family, it's a very stressful time. It's, a time that no one really knows how to handle that situation. And so having someone to kind of lean on, I think makes a lot of sense. There's no like college classes in those. And I know less, yes, there's like a Lamaze class and stuff, but like, I don't know, like I feel like people are woefully not underprepared because you can only prepare so much for, I think like parenthood and death, but like the, the more like logistical side of things, like I'm thinking death in particular, like you said, all right, planning a funeral, like that's so expensive and considering your options between cremation and burial, or turn into a tree. Uh, or sh- sure, turning into a tree. <laughs> um, composting people, I guess, if you will, which is a big thing now. Um, you can compost me, I guess. And um, <laughs> if you're still around. Um, I, I, again, so best friend. And now I also get to prepare your funeral. Great. Yeah. Lucky lucky you. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? It's just like. I don't know the paperwork. I remember when my grandmother died, like that was just like one of the most difficult things to kind of navigate. Yeah. Like, all right, how do you, cause she didn't have like a list a repository of here are my banking institutions and here's where you should follow up. And it's just, you have to Google, like you have to contact the IRS yeah. and let them know like this person dies. They can't pay Send taxes anymore. Certificates and, yeah. yeah. It's weirdly like complex. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's a Google, a wiki how-to guide of Maybe, but what to do then, when someone dies. Even That's like, not enough. Yeah, you need someone to like... 
I mean, it's overwhelming, right? It's just, yeah. it's, you're emotional, presumably, at the time. It's, and it's, it's a lot. It's funny. Like, I can, I, we keep comparing it to birthing, which I think is a, it's a good analogy because it's just, you know, beginning and end, whatever, is circular aspect of time. But also just because I think you're right that there's so many, so many similarities in the complexity and the challenges of it that we don't prepare people for. In our in our dad's chat, we actually have started to put together. I'm not even joking. We put together a wiki for each other because we there's all this random shit. Like, how do you get a social security card for your child? How do you make sure yeah. that you? How do you make sure that you've got health insurance set up? You're the, they're um, uh, you've put in your legal services change for your benefits. Like all this random shit that no one tells you how to do. Yeah, and there's and not an even e- like a list of repository there of isn't. like here's your checklist. And even if there is a basic one, there I mean there's probably a couple that are basic. It's different by state. It's different mm-hmm. by location. It's different by your job. It's like there's so many different things you need to do. And for us, like for us, uh, we've had a couple friends who like we we I was lucky in that I was part of kind of I was around a couple of friends who all had babies like a first wave of babies, right? So yeah. time, so we could kind of lean on each other. And then there's the second wave of babies in our friend group that's happening now. And those folks weren't there when, when we had our first wave. And so it's like, we're kind of having to remember how to do all this for them. As they're asking questions, we're like, oh yeah, you do need to go get three or four copies of that and send one here and one here and one here. And you know, it's like, but again, cause this shit just, even just from a logistic sense, it's not well organized or understood or spelled out for you. And I'm again, having never had to do this on the other side of it, but it sounds like from what you're describing with your grandmother, like it's the same fucking thing when it comes to death. You're just, yeah. You're just like, wait a minute now, now what? Yeah. 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 You're like, (laughs) what uh, do I do (laughs) now? Like, how do I like, yeah, the, the place she was staying. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot. And yeah, there's a, like you said, even if there is a, a checklist, like it's just, it's not robust enough. And again, I just don't think anything can like really adequately prepare, prepare you. So I think having that service is really, really critical. Yeah. So doulas are a relatively new movement. They're about probably 22, 23 years old at this point, at least as, as we commonly think of them. Death doulas, excuse me, not doulas. In I was going to say like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like back to like. Yeah, Middle yeah. ages. Well, midwives go back forever. I don't know when like the doula um, concept is specifically started. Maybe same time. I don't know. But death doulas as a concept in basically in the year 2000. And it started, ironically, to how everything we've been discussing with the Shira Ruske Center of Jewish of the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services at NYU Medical Center. That's a long, <laughs> long fucking name. But um, basically the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services at NYU Medical Center was looking to basically create a volunteer program of what they were referring to as doulas for terminally ill people. And they paired five volunteers with patients. And the program, um, they eventually named it the Doula to Accompany and Comfort. And they gave the doula volunteers training on both clinical and spiritual aspects of death including but not limited to complexities of end-of-life healthcare, physical issues like incontinence, disorientation, etc., and then also just hope in the face of death. So, kind of heavy stuff, <laughs> but I think but the I think what came from it was 
something that was really successful for their their group of patients and their families. And so that kind of spun out and the Baylor Supportive and uh, Palliative Care Service and Clinical Ethics Committee. (laughs) Um, That's a mouthful. Yeah. um, Rolls off the tongue, huh? What became this, the, the clinical implementation of that New York program. And so they, they formed this department where nurses, um, religious, uh, religious figures, religious figures, religious, what do you call them? I don't want to say like priests and rabbis and stuff, but like religious leaders. I don't know. Sure. Um, Ministers is minister like non-denominational. I I know I'm trying to find the right word, but whatever nurses, chaplains, I don't know. Therapists, they, they came together and created a program in consultation with the New York program, which ended up being this like six week long training program that was formed to work hand in hand with clinical medicine. And I'm just going to read from the wiki because I keep tripping over myself and I try to make up words for it. Um, but they just, bas- yeah, just accept the plagiarism. <laughs> just, just, I am, I am informing. <laughs> uh, so the doulas were referred to by nurses, social workers, therapists, but had to be ordered by the doctor when they were oh. ordered by the doctor, they would be voluntarily matched to the hospital's reverend to individual cases, blah, 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 blah. The point is that it basically started expanding the program. Um, the, the Baylor program started expanding this um, through through the community. Of course, this is at the time when the word midwife was still being used, like the death midwife. So that was being referred to. And that is where there was a lot of controversy um, the College of Midwives in British Columbia it was demanding that they stop calling themselves midwives, uh, as were a couple other groups. Basically, Why? because well, they they think or their contention was that midwife really has to do with birth, and that the I and that, again that the it has this kind of medical implication that has to do with birth, even though they're not doctors, but that. They're not that a doula is not a health professional. They're not registered with any sort of certification program, any sort of college, anything like that. And because much like mid- how I don't consider you a professional. Well, <laughs> I am. Yeah. Can you imagine if there was like a podcast certification? <laughs> I'm fucking sure there is. I would bet my. I would bet not my life, but I would bet money on it. <laughs> if there isn't, we should start one and just. Just start Charge saying, <laughs> like, we, you could pay us money f- for us to tell you you were now a certified podcast host. This is our monetization option. This is our, here we go. This is our mo- monetization opportunity. We're not monetizing the podcast. We're monetizing other people's podcasts. <laughs> Perfect. Like, hey, like, as a podcast, we are making money rather than just spending it. And I've been telling Jordan for almost two fucking years now, which is insane to say that out loud. Can you believe we've doing this? been doing this tw- two years? I know we're going to um, do like, this till we die and need death to us. <laughs> I mean, God willing. And who knows? By then we'll have like 208 listeners. God willing, um, says the Milton Atheist. <laughs> the militant atheist agnostic that militantly a- agnostically atheist Atheistic. i don't know where, where i was going or what yeah. i was saying but that's how we monetize the podcast um yeah let's let's apparently. talk let's talk more shop on the podcast and just see. <laughs> yes. aren't you all interested <laughs> yeah. in how we can make money off of you let's get our google sheet open with our expenses and start start tracking this we need to get you the don't black. track your expenses no <laughs> FYI, no. I when don't. we start, when we started this, I thought it might not be a bad idea just to keep an expense spreadsheet, just to keep track in case, like, 
I don't know, this ever took off or like whoever we wanted to monetize it and we had to file taxes, whatever. So I just insisted that we keep track of our expenses and Jordan has not tracked a single goddamn motherfucking thing and I've just given up on it. So <laughs> hopefully the IRS doesn't audit us. Right now, not a risk because we're not making any money. <laughs> yeah. But how, how are they we spending it? it? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now if they do, I'll just... I'll, run. I'll, uh, I'll disappear. I'll run. I'll assume another identity. No one can track me. We've talked about this. Flee to Mexico. Good reference and yeah. good segue back to the topic. Death doulas. Death doulas. So death doulas is really a... It's a phenomenon that came out of the death positive movement, which, as you can imagine, comes is a spinoff of the sex positive movement. <laughs> Couldn't imagine that yeah. because I was like, what the fuck is a death positive movement? So the death positive movement is the idea. I mean, like, it's quite literally the same as sex positive movement, right? So sex positive, we're going to stop treating sex as a taboo, as a Christian sin layered throughout society and and shaming people for having sexual feelings and blah, 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 right? So death positive has the same concept behind it, which is why they kind of copied the same terminology. And the, the idea is to encourage people to openly talk about death, to talk about dying, to talk about corpses, you know, whatever else, to really just try to remove the stigma and anxiety that comes from the concept of death. And then ultimately the goal would be from there to improve end of life care options for people. Because today there often isn't any, especially if you don't have the financial means for it. So it's really about, it's really about leading, helping people come to a state of acceptance and, and make death normal (laughs) in society to the point where it's just in this weird taboo and fearful topic that we kind of dance around and skirt and try to not think about until the moment it's finally upon us, which mm-hmm. I can attest to personally, because every time I have one of those existential crises, I try to do everything I can to find something to distract myself. So <laughs> mm-hmm. like turn my brain have, away from that. How many times do you have existential crises? Would you say I more frequently than I used to, I feel like as I've gotten older, they, and as I had a kid, I was going to say way is, more often. Yeah. What are some of your ex- existential crises? Give me an example. No, it's the it's the it, in terms of death, it's dying. <laughs> like, oh. I feel like I'm older. I'm getting closer to dying. Or I leave the house. Oh God, what if an idiot drunk driver slams into me? I die, and that was the last time I my son ever sees me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's the it's that moment of telling your kid, "Hey, I'm gonna come back soon," and then you die. And you never came back. And that's their last memory of you, of you lying to them, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, if it if it gives you any solace, it, it will be my entire life mission to convince your son that you have lied to him in many ways. So regardless of whether you get hit by a bus or not, I am just going to do everything I can to undermine the sacred relationship you've built with your son. So just, I mean, hopefully that, that makes you feel a little better. That's kind of inevitable. So now you can just like resign to it. Way to keep it light. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Pew, pew. Uh, pull, pull the bolts back in. <laughs> okay. Pew, pew. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you can believe this, but death try tools, me. Death tools are not well regulated. <laughs> what? There is. Uh, there has been increasing efforts by politicians to regulate and or license the practice of becoming a death doula. 
Um, Senator Vicki Walker from Oregon in 2009. I don't know if she's still a senator. Um, oh, she must, she might've been a state senator. I can't tell. I can't tell this Not is important. a, I, either way, she introduced the bill, whether it was to the Oregon State Senate or to the United States Senate, it doesn't matter. The real because, Senate, who cares? Because something happened. Um, oh, did it, it must pass? have been the State Senate. Yes, because it did pass and it said it, the death duel is, when it passed, it, it was a bill that was aimed to regulate death care consultants, aka death duelists. And when it did pass in July, death duelists were required to be licensed by the Oregon Mortuary and Cemetery Board, or as you would have called it before moving here, the Oregon Mortuary and Cemetery Board. Which I would still call it. Um, interesting. I'm curious. Do you, did this show up in your research? Um, this is just me putting context clues together on account of being a really smart person. Um, but was this legislation <laughs> introduced in Oregon because they have... Um, assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. Yeah. So is it like a higher need and a higher prevalence of death doulas kind of existing there? I think probably they're not... I didn't see explicit links, but I would say it's a safe assumption that they're, they were definitely related. Like, so you think I'm smart. So you think um, that's not at all what I said. I think you, but that's what I'm hearing. The smallest of context clues together. (laughs) (laughs) The Um, first state to legalize, uh, euthanasia also said, maybe we should regulate the people who are helping you plan your death. Yeah. I, you're a genius. Not everyone could have put that together and you fucking know it. <laughs> so I that's bet fair. at least I bet at least half of our listeners are like, wow, that's a really great point. And the other half are like, that's a really obvious point, Brenna. Half, so you're saying half of our listeners are stoned right now. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say stupid and I was no. like, how rude. No. I did take an edible before this, so I, I know, know it's been a long no, time. No, it's clear. No, it isn't. Shut up. <laughs> it's not. Fuck you. It hasn't you know hit to get yet. more defensive when you're when you're high. I, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm equally defensive all the time when you fucking offend me. So that that test requires them to get a, the test they have to basically pass to become a death doula requires they get a license uh, or is the requirement to gain a license. And then that covers Oregon as well as any federal laws, apparently related to the care of dead bodies. So, so at least in some states, Oregon being the first, but I, I think others by now, death doulas have some regulation. In terms of what they do, we kind of covered this from a birthing process, but in terms of what they actually do from as it applies to death, they cover basically three phases. Uh, the first is planning. Okay. So as death approaches, death doulas help the dying person find meaning in their life, plan for their own death. That first part seemed like a tough task because as far as I know, the whole there is no his- inherent meaning. The whole life. history of human civilization has been trying to find that one, but maybe death doulas are really good at it. Like Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure it's like reflecting on their personal yeah, life. Yeah. Like no, who it, did you love? Who loved you? I think it's finding yeah, it, I think it's a good point that it's like it's about their life, their not like brain. inherent yeah. life. What what value general. their life had? Yeah, and the answer really is no different when you break it down. But at least you can kind of you know make people believe there was purpose if you just reflect on them personally. That <laughs> this being just a random act of cells dividing until you have some sort of consciousness and then pass back and all your atoms disperse to the greater universe. That was pretty elegant. That was a 
That was pretty nice. That was articulate. Actual agnostic. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> um, second phase, dying. Death duels can ensure that the person is comfortable and that their wishes are being carried out, which is nice too, I think, because I think one thing you hear, I don't know how actually common it is, but you definitely hear stories anecdotally that makes it seem common is that people will kind of decide for a dying person mm-hmm. how how that process is going to happen. And so I think the doula kind of acts as their representative, right? Yeah. In this process in a lot of ways. So, uh, which makes sense. And then last but not least, probably potentially most important for everyone else, grieving. So the death doulas help immediately after death as family members have to process grief. And, and like we were saying earlier, then that's the part where they can also carry out a lot of logistical needs of you're, this is the last thing you want to think about. So let me kind of guide you through that process of mm-hmm. all the paperwork and whatever else you need to do. Yeah. Have you ever seen um, Little Miss Sunshine? I have. That's probably one of my, that is one of my, that I would really put that movie. in my top five. It's so, it has like some really dark humor, but it's funny and it's heartwarming. And it has these like, yeah, I think moments of complete like black comedy and like very dark yeah. humor. But part of the premise for those who haven't seen it is, um, they're on a road trip. The grandfather dies during the road trip and they're on a trip from, I want to say like maybe New Mexico to California, Arizona to California. And he dies, I think in California, Yeah. but they've been like road tripping and it becomes this whole thing of like how to transport the body back to New Mexico. And they end up smuggling the body out of the hospital, which is, this, you know, very dark, but very funny. Yeah. And a scene from the movie. A weekend at um, Bernie situation. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't know, like the way they kind of deal with some like really heavier, darker issues in that, sh- um, movie, I think is like really, really sweetly done, like, or with a lens of comedy. Cause sometimes I think, when we talk about like serious issues, people get bogged down in the the sadness of it or the seriousness of it, which isn't like say to say that's wrong, but almost in conjunction or similar in the same vein of death positivity or sex positivity. I think there's a way to do it that isn't so serious. Like it's just a part of life, right? Like so smuggling a body really extreme kind of scenario, but also like very funny in the context of the movie. And I think in, and so, you know, it's the family's grieving. They're so sad, um, sobbing as you would be at the loss of a important family member. And then someone has the crackpot idea of we're going to smuggle his body. We're going to do it. And it just kind of pivots. And, um, it's, I know it sounds like a really extreme kind of example. No, it but is it's, to some it's extent. a funny movie, but it's a really funny and it honestly yeah. feels like it could be a very real life scenario somehow. Yeah. So anyway, I just, uh, that's what that's reminding me of. And, I, I don't we, know. That's we, my little diatribe there for the day. We had this conversation before, or kind of a related conversation, right? About humor as it as it applies to like depressing situations and <laughs> scenarios, and how a lot of, we think you and I are the opinion generally that funnier comedians comedians def, tend to have. I'll start that sentence over. You and I are of the opinion generally that funnier comedians tend to have some darkness in their past or persona or at or least in their else. sense of humor yeah but i think one thing that m- media does really well books m- movies tv music whatever is it can use things like comedy to tell or approach topics that are otherwise actually really hard to 
Yeah. And I think 100%. death is a good example. Um, the, the one, or sorry, in you well, death is a good one example. I like little miss sunshine, but the other one that comes to mind for me is the, have you seen the movie death of Stalin? No, it's so fucking good. Uh, it's by the same guy who did veep. It's just like really okay. black comedy that it's got like Steve Buscemi and all sorts of people in it, but it's about Stalin's death and what happened to the Soviet Russia basically as, as he died and all of his minions fought for power. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking hysterical. And it's like, they don't even pretend to be Russian. Like all the actors are English or in Steve Buscemi's case, American or whatever. No one's doing a Russian accent or anything like that. They're just fucking playing it straight. And it's tons of ridiculous insults and, you know, very, very Veep style comedy if you've seen Veep. But when you take a step back from all the humor and hijinks that are happening, it's this incredibly dark fucking real story that happened, right? Of mass killings as yeah. these essentially warlords fought for power. And it's fucking hilarious to watch, but it also makes you kind of wreck it. Like it lets you actually invest into it and see what's happening, understand the history without. Like for me, that's a hard thing to watch if you play it, if it's a completely true documentary, right? Like right, I don't like want to Schindler's sit and watch List. That. Exactly. Yeah. And even though it's like a lot of war movies I used to like be interested in now, Even I just like, Ryan. I, like I can't because it's so, I mean, it's just like it's all the same thing and it's all like quite sad, like really yeah. quite sad when you peel it back. Did you ever watch Jojo Rabbit? I love Jojo. Jojo Rabbit's another good example. It's one of my favorite movies that's, too. Yeah. That's what it's reminding me of. Like, again, like the premise there is, again, super dark comedy highlighting the, the evils of Hitler and, and World War II. However, it's done through the lens of a little boy in Nazi Germany who has an imaginary best friend of Hitler. Yeah. I mean, it's so fucked up and it's so fun, but it's so funny. And it again, it does a great job towing the line or like not towing the line, but showing both sides of it shows some really dark very like sad scenes um from the war and that time period and then it has some really fucking weird and funny yeah moments like a kid uh trying to be best friends with hitler and impress him yeah his his imaginary hitler too yeah imaginary hitler who is of course played by a jew which is (laughs) one of my favorite even better yeah a new zealand jew um no it's really good uh this has been jordan brenna's movie review hour yeah, Death Doulas <laughs> as a peripheral topic. <laughs> Just so we can make movie recommendations. Uh, Death Doulas, though, let's talk back about those. So the couple things they do. So I'm just going to give you a couple examples of what they provide to patients and families. So for patients, like we said, they talk with a person about dying, helping them identify their own wishes. They help them plan for what they want after their death, such as what they want done with their remains, the type of memorial service. They talk about what dying might feel like what symptoms they might experience. How do they know what dying might feel like? Who's passing that on? Well, my guess is that they've looked at research. They've talked to people, you know, like... Who are they talking to? Who knows what death feels like except the dead? And how are the death well, good I think, communicating I think, it? I think not what death in the like moment of death feels like, but the dying process feels like is really what they're talking about, which I think we do have many accounts for, of. Or sure. there are people who have died and supposedly and have accounts like that priest recently who said he died and went to hell and they were playing like Rihanna there or whatever. Is it Rihanna? Oh, no. Uh, was she pregnant too? Well, the the critical thing that I, it was Rihanna or some 
some Yikes. you know music person that he hated but the critical thing to me is that that priest went to hell to hear it so i'm like <laughs> good, aren't we all there already mission there <laughs> <laughs> was it for the molesting the little boys or yeah, something probably. different Speaking um, of inappropriate humor yeah. I can say it because I was raised Catholic. So. I can say it because I was a little boy. What? <laughs> I can say it because I went to one of the schools that they all was... did. They all did. I know. It's yeah. terrible. That's why they had to add girls. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I believe it. So that they could be molested too. Yeah, it's Title nine. Opportunity. It's Title nine. <laughs> Title nine. That's Everyone gets molested. That's fucked up. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's fucked up. That's yeah. fucked up. Are you gonna cut it? Or no. <laughs> fuck. Well, I'm gonna own it. I'm sorry, but seriously, mine was worse. I what think. What the fuck, Catholic Church? Like, they're still railing right now against regulation. Like, there's a mandatory reporting law trying to be passed in our state, and yeah, the Catholic like, Church is being real cunty about it. If I can use the, if I can use the word for this, like Jesus fucking Christ. One, you're not a woman, nor are you Australian, so no, you can't use the word, <laughs> but I can. And uh, it's pretty really cunty. It's really cunty. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. <laughs> um, but seriously, you can't use that. That's that's my word. Um, some people really don't like that word. Uh, yeah. I happen to be quite fine of it if it's used appropriately, which is never by man. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's so dumb. The, the, the law they're trying to pass is if someone in the Catholic umbrella, like at a church, whatever the fuck, knows about abuse they're required to report it crazy that we need to make that into a law but yeah um yeah there's pushback against that if you can believe because i don't know fucking why 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 is that a bad law well it, the catholic excuse i i think we all know the real reason they're pushing back against it but they're defen- which is no no tell me because they don't want their priests to have to fucking face judgment and and because and, well, they're hearing from confession from each other let's be fucking real but separately i think they're i mean they're claiming that there's always been it's always been considered confessional it's always been considered a sacred space right that like a murderer can go and confess a crime there and they're not required to report that although the priest supposedly will tell them to go turn themselves in but like that's the kind of shit that like the the church is supposed to According to them, is supposed to live outside of the legal system. I disagree with that. <laughs> also, but that's, maybe that's their I could claim. I could also maybe see that stake, like that you know, promise being more sacred for like a parishioner as opposed to someone who's supposed to be a literal messenger of God. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Well, well, what do I know? So when I'm it comes to responsibilities for families, <laughs> uh, death doulas, you know, they'll do things like, like even organizing the physical space the dying person feng shui in it i guess uh providing logistical support they'll take over caregiver duties so that caregivers can rest uh, which i think is probably a huge one we've talked about them planning the remains memorial services and they just like they talk to the patient about the dying process they'll talk to loved ones understand like what signs they should be looking for what symptoms the person might be experiencing and, and so forth so um and then they'll do a lot of more not a lot they'll do and then they'll also do hands-on stuff, like helping wash and dress the deceased, uh, providing spiritual support, helping them, helping loved ones process the grief and loss, and helping them, the loved ones, come up with a plan of like, how do you continue the legacy of this person now that they're gone? Don't nod. This is a podcast. <laughs> okay. Is that the end of it? Is that the no. end of uh, your description then? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the end of 
thank the you responsibilities for, that they do. Thank you for describing that. I have a question that should lead to your next statement. What is the next part of your story? <laughs> uh, so I was, what I was going to do is just kind of close out with some uh, examples of tattoos like themselves um, reporting you know, reports from people who actually do this. Um, there is a lot more of them now than there were 23 ish years ago when it started. But no, as shit. you can imagine, they even more uh, they they grew even more aggressively during the pandemic. Uh, there was a lot, mm. a much higher demand for them. And, and what started with, you know, just a couple organizations, even pre pandemic that were training death doulas. Now I think there's at least two dozen of them throughout the country. And they, in the pandemic, they also had to adjust, right. And be able to support people virtually as well as in person. So, um, there was a New York times article that came out about a year and a half ago. And this was, I, I really found it a really good article. I recommend it. It's called doula's death, end of life, something like that. <laughs> You'll find it wow. in New York times. You definitely. Recommend- I don't have the article title. I have the HTML, which I highly can, recommend read this out article, the URL which for you. I hope you can figure it out from these context clues. The New York Times article on, on doulas. You'll, you'll, I'm sure there's you'll only been one. There's so, the New York Times? Probably. Any any shot I have at them. Um, good, good one. Them and their damn reporting. What reporting? Interview with Marianne O'Hara. So she was... Um, she, she had a daughter who was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at age two. And it was predicted that her daughter would die mid-40s. And so they did everything they could to like make sure she had a happy life as long as they could. And we're hoping that of course that she would beat the odds. Right. She died at 33. And that was, as you can imagine, really tough for Marianne and her husband. And so in that moment of grief, she decided to try to find meaning to what had happened with the loss of her daughter and, um, sign up for the certificate program at U of Vermont's, college of medicine to become a death doula herself and she said in our culture we go overboard preparing for birth but overboard overboard preparing for birth but hope for the best at the end of life the training was really a way of going even deeper in my own grief and realizing how i could take my own experience and help other people have a better end of life i saw for myself how horrifying it is during a medical crisis and then after death to realize that life keeps going and needs attending to as soon as Caitlin passed, suddenly it's over and that person is gone and you have to deal with the business of living. A good doula will help support you in that. So you see this like in multiple reports from doulas that a lot of them choose to be doulas because they've experienced death and they don't want others to have to go through it alone either in the way that they did or, or because they had a death doula that supported them and then realized the value of it. Like death doulas themselves cost $25 an hour. They're not cheap, but many of them, 25 plus, sorry, I should say some of them go up much higher, but many of them do, do operate but voluntarily and how just to, just to support people. So, okay. If they, do you know what the average like 
time commitment is then because I know sometimes like birthing doulas like all they get not all they get paid for but it ends up being like not a great amount of time because they might have like two to three consults and then it's the birth itself and I think it's rather than by hour I think it's by service or whatever but it's not a ton of hours so death like especially if someone's in hospice care like do you know the average amount of time a death doula is under contract no but I think it also it also depends on what they're doing so I think there will be death doulas where someone will ask for help in the dying process and get the logistics done and whatever else right and that might be it a couple consultations and that helps that gets them what they need and helps prepare right in other cases um it might be someone who's there more frequently and they just keep them they're basically paying them uh until they don't longer no longer need them so there's an example of there's an example of a woman named uh marcia minuni and she had a, a end of life doula named Virginia Chang support her and because her sister was dying and her sister was like really known to be very closed off. Didn't they had like hard boundaries and borders. Didn't like people <laughs> around her. Um, but the doula was able to like kind of break through to her mm-hmm. and would just do things like reading her poetry, play, like playing music for her, just like kind of being there for her almost like a family member. But, on a more dedicated time basis. Cause a lot of people just can't take time out of their lives. Unfortunately <laughs> work kids, whatever it is to be with someone who's kind of pass on the verge of passing, right. Full time. And so even though like this, is, I'm telling this example because this death will was there for, I think a duration of time that was somewhat indefinite, but she wasn't there full time. So, and she wasn't there. In fact, when Marcia's sister passed, but Marcia said that like we even when the death doula wasn't there her sister was playing the same music and poems and stuff that the death doula was had kind of like read to her or whatever or introduced her to so it was like the death doula had kind of helped helped her sister through that whole process whether or not she was there and to like quote her to quote Marcia herself she says how comforting is that she didn't even have to physically be there for that human voice is just as important as touch and so like the fact that like her presence was part of that process kind of meant the world to them. Totally. Did you ever um, read Tuesdays with Maury? Uh, I did in like high school. That was a very long time ago though, as you are often known for pointing out. Yes. Um, and so I know it's one of the books that's like more commonly assigned reading. And so I think it's a more popular literature and that a lot of people have read it. However, when it comes to, I guess, like traditionally assigned literature, or more popular books, um, it is one that's really stuck with me. And the premise for those who haven't read it is a very popular college professor. Like everyone loved him. Uh, he was on his deathbed, I think for like a year or he had ALS, um, but he had to have in-home care. And because he was so popular, uh, just people from his entire walk of life came and visited him at, at home during his in-home care, including the author of this book, who was one of his former students, and he would go visit him every Tuesday, and it was called Tuesdays with Maury. But um, I think what was really beautiful about that story is, I, I mean, it's basically a... Um, I mean, it's nonfiction, really, is what it is, because it's a, a true account of this guy's end of life. But he just had so many 
positive and enlightening, I think, viewpoints on like the meaning in li- of life and how to live it fully that I, I remember I highlighted. I'm not a big highlighter when I'm reading books, but there's <laughs> just something really like really just like touching things that I was like, you know, what, this is always a good thing to come back to because it's um, very, very wise and um, very touching. There's a, a book I read several years ago called stoner ironically as it relates to you but it's not about people like you it's about a guy named a guy named william stoner and it's like one of these like quiet books just about a guy and living in america um (laughs) like it's like kind of turn of the turn of the 20th century and it starts with his death like and it it taught like and i can't remember exactly how it how the how like it's phrased in the book but it's basically he dies alone and no one really know no one really pays attention to it and he's like a professor at a at a college and it's just kind of like oh yeah that guy died and the whole book is about his life and you read it and i read it and i came away for so dep- like moved by the book but so depressed because he had a beautiful life and no one seemed to care no because his life was inconsequential in every way <laughs> And it's like you you read it, and it's like his he he left his family's farming uh, business to because he fell in love with literature and he wanted to go study in college despite his like dad's wishes and stuff, right? And he was mediocre at that, but he kind of kept at it until he finally worked as a professor and got tenure just from duration, not from any great talent. He marries the wrong girl. It doesn't go well in their marriage, right? Until his, until she wants to kid with him and then he doesn't have a greatest relationship with his child even though he wants to. He has an affair, which is the moment of life that he's actually happy because he's found someone who actually is probably right for him. But then his life is crumbling around beside him so he goes back and tries to keep his the sham of a marriage going on. And well, just Jordan, kind of like, I think no, I did but a pretty, you, like, good, I think I did eventually... a pretty good job of keeping it light, talking about, you know, smuggling dead bodies and priests molesting children. And now you have to fucking make it so depressing. But at it's the a end really here. good book. Like, and he, he ends like it ends with. Yeah, it ends with. I'm like, I'm not spoiling much. I say like it ends with his death, which is he's just a person. Yeah. Who wasn't who wasn't remarkable in any way. And I found that I found that incredible because so many of our stories like this is how perfect like all the stuff you didn't realize about this person. And it's like, no, this person was just a person. And that in and of itself had meaning in some way. Like there's still meaning to his life and that like you still find meaning through that. And so I don't know. That's kind of what I, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about that when I was, when I was reading about that, it was just the fact that like we kind of have this, I feel like this idea in, especially in American culture that, everyone has to be someone has to do something amazing, whatever else. And I just, it is kind of nice to think that maybe it's okay to just live a life and that doesn't, it doesn't have to be special, but it doesn't have to be terrible just because it's not special. Well, okay. So why, when I say like life is inconsequential and has no inherent meaning, I'm a pessimist and whereas when you say it, you had like a profound realization of, Ooh, how liberating is it? Doesn't have to have inherent meaning. And people do just live lives that aren't really like inherently meaningful and people are just people. Why the different spin on these things when this is literally what I've been saying the entire time I've known you. I don't, I don't think that's true. (laughs) 
And that's death doulas. Do you have an obscure subculture we should know about or just want to ask us a question? You can find us on Instagram at Subscurity Podcast. Our website is subscurity.com. You can also email us directly at subscurity at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is the instrumental of We're Better Together by Go Mordecai. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>